All right, you guys, welcome back to Advent Next. Uh, this week, I just wanted kind of to prime the pump a little bit uh, for next week because we're having a really uh, exciting conversation with a gentleman named Matthew Cortman. And uh, he wrote a book called Say No to God. And it's going to be like a four-part series. It's really long because there's so much juicy material to get into. We live in a time where I think people want permission to know where are the boundaries to say no to God. Um, is there room for me to have my own mind uh, within the context of religion? And this is why I feel like this is so important. So I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a taste of what next week, but I'm not even going to give you like really a drop in the bucket of what is really there. There's so many gems. There's so many, so much jewelry. Uh, I guess that's what you would say. I don't know. There's so many gems uh, in this program because we're looking at the fact that, you know, Religion, in so many ways, um, can be a very fearful endeavor, right? If you look at the premise of the fact that you're entering into a relationship with God, right? Like if I really believe that I'm entering into a relationship with a person who is the most powerful, most knowledgeable, uh, could completely, you know, uh, change the course of my life type person— if I really believe that that's the kind of person that I'm entering into relationship, like then the natural response in many ways can be fear, right? Like uh, this person is able to set the course of my life, allow good things to happen to me, allow bad things to happen to me. And I think there is a bit of, uh, of just kind of understandableness, right? When we come to that relationship with a sense of fear. Right, especially with a lot of theology, sometimes bad theology, you know, uh, eternal burning torment. Um, that sounds like a pretty scary thing, and so a lot of people's relationship are like, we just got to do what he says. Don't ask any questions. Put your head down, and we just got to get through this crazy thing called life. And <laughs> you know, as you mature in your relationship with God. And as we like really incorporate these stories of like, what does it mean for God to have become human? What does it mean that Jesus entered into the world? What did God mean when he looked to Abraham and looked to Moses and he said, these are my friends? And it's because we don't enter into relationships with our friends based on fear, right? And there's a certain kind of equality that's almost there. And I know this sounds almost blasphemous to say that there can be equality between us and God. But I think there's a certain dynamic within our relationship that he does want to see us face to face. And he, was, he does want us to be able to enter maybe outside of that parent-child relationship, right? When Jesus said to his disciples, you know, um, the servants don't know what the master is doing, but I call you friends, right? Like I'm not wanting to have that type of relationship with you that is dictatorial, that is, I'm telling you what to do. You need to do. Don't ask any questions. But friends are people who challenge you. Friends are people who uh, are willing to reason with you if they think that you're getting a little bit out of line, right? And we see that happening in the story of Moses. We see that happening with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That he's saying, Lord, please, you know, if there are 10 righteous people in that city, would you change your mind, right? And there's this type of challenging that they feel comfortable enough in their relationship with God to kind of question some of his decisions, to question his moral compass, because they feel like they have kind of a 
a superior one in that sense and not in an arrogant way, but in a sense of like, I feel like I have a concept of what's good and I'm thinking this is good in this scenario and I'm challenging you because if it's not good, if you have a better answer for it, prove me right or prove me wrong. Uh, otherwise, concede to me, you know, and that's that's a powerful dynamic to enter into with God, right? It's very much along the lines of what you would see in a marriage. And when we talk about the wedding supper of the lamb, you know, you look at Revelation and you see the new Jerusalem dressed as a bride coming down. And I think that there is a type of equality that God is moving us toward in our relationship with him. And if we get stuck at this servant mentality and we're not able to progress and continue to grow in an understanding where we feel safe in that relationship, where we feel safe enough even at times to challenge him. And we're going to get into that next week, like in greater detail. So I don't want to give away all of the yummy, like, uh, discoveries that we're going to go on, but I just want to get you guys thinking a little bit and you're going to have kind of more of facts and information and filled in in the next couple episodes. But I just want you to start thinking about your own personal walk with him. Has there been moments in that walk where you felt like, Lord, I know you say this is just, but. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like this is, would be more just. I don't know if I completely agree with you on how the Bible portrays this. And what we will come to find as we continue to kind of challenge it in the direction of good, right? Where we continue to challenge our understanding of what good is. And here's the thing. I don't want to go off at a tangent. I don't want to lose my thought. But like challenging in the direction of what good is and why do I say it in that that framework is because some people think that we have been so marred by sin and what that means is like we've been deformed by it. Our moral compass has been so deranged by the fall that we have no concept of what good is. And so the only concept of good that we could have is one that is imposed upon us by somebody else. And I think that there's some truth to that, but it also, you know, it also kind of removes us from the reality that we were created in the image of God. And then in some sense, you know, there still is a bit of a moral compass, a a sense of like, you know, what we feel is right and wrong. Like I've been outraged by the injustices that have happened and things that I've seen and it's not just because somebody told me to feel that way, right? That the types of laws that are good that, you know, that, that, that I have seen in God's law, like, oh, this is just, this is fair. I can see the reasoning, the rationale behind this. And I begin to become molded by that and I allow my moral compass to become molded by that. And when I see injustice, I have a natural reaction to the inhumanity of it. And I think our appetites can be trained too, right? I think you can train yourself to love something. You can train yourself to love the good and you can train yourself to love the bad. And in that, but in that choice and in that training, you know, we're developing like a muscle and we're developing a sense of right and wrong. Now, there are some things that are beyond the scope of what we're able to judge, right? Like God coming down to Job and saying, you have no idea 
all of the factors that are at play here. And so since you don't have all knowledge, you don't see how this action is affecting this action and how everything is interconnected and I'm having to work in this fine-tuned balance. You only know about your life and that's it. But like I'm managing the lives of like billions of people and animals and plankton and the ecosystems of oceans and of rainforests and like I'm interacting with everything on a worldwide scale. And so in that situation, to know what good is, sometimes we can know in our own individualistic uh, interactions and interpersonal relationships, but like in a macro perspective, what is best for, you know, moving forward, like, I don't know, just all the little intricate details of life, we might not have the bigger picture. And so some of our statements that we might make to God might be misinformed. There has to be a humility in our relationship to concede that, Right. I think kind of the arrogance of, and forgive me, you know, of, uh, of atheism, right? And not necessarily agnosticism, because that, that has a bit of a humility of saying, like, I don't know if I can figure out which God is the true God, but the atheism of saying there is no God, like, it, it, would, it would require you, in order to make that decision, that you would have to be present in every corner of the known world, at every minute and of every time in order to assess, you know, is God present, right? And I think that that's the challenge of, of not conceding the limits of our knowledge to say, I don't know. There are things that are beyond the scope of my little mind. And I want to talk a little bit about the unknown, right? That's going to be a part of what we're going to hit on the podcast. So I do encourage you next week. It's going to be phenomenal. We're in a four weeks, two weeks before podcasts of like just amazing material because what do we do when we hit the limits of our knowledge? What do we do when we hit the limits of our knowledge? And we'll look at the fact that there is room for faith and there's room for doubt, right? I think when we hit that moment of, I don't know, there will always be the I don't know. That we will always, and, and if we can't get to that place of honesty within our, like, yeah, within our assessment of the world and with our assessment of whether or not there is a God, right? If we can't concede the fact that there are things that we don't know, like, then, you know, we're not even aware of our own weaknesses and, and the limits of what we can know. So, but I, I just want to kind of back up a little bit because I kind of took a detour. We are going to get into what do we do when we hit the limits of our knowledge, but I want to back up a little bit about this moral compass, right? Um, that it's not, we're not, we're not so deprived in who we are. We're not so depraved in, um, because of the fall that we don't have things that we see and injustices that we observe and say, this is painful to me. This agitates my morality. And there are things that we might observe about God that we see in the scripture, that in the ways that we see his church carrying out the scripture, that we might want to challenge and say, I don't think that's just. And we have to know that in our relationship with God, that there is room for that. And that he welcomes that because the entire uh, point of salvation 
is for us to grow up into full maturity. And that full maturity is somebody who has a mind and reason enough to be able to assess the works of God and say, this is good. Not because they're based out of fear. Not because they're saying that because they're like, I have to concede to you, God. Because if I don't, you might destroy me. Because you'll say anything to save your life. But this is going to be a confession of somebody who has exhausted the limits of their knowledge and of their reason. They've observed it in every possible angle and they've said, this is good. And kind of on a theological tangent, you know, uh, there's a, a period in heaven, right? I don't know where my listeners are on the spectrum of like whether they believe that's a real thing or not. But if we're taking the Bible for face value and, and we see that there's a resurrection and there's a period of time where we're with the Lord, whatever you'd like to call that time, like that that's a time of assessment. That's a time where we get to come into full agreement, where he has full transparency, like we audit God. Like tax season is here. Some of you might be getting audited by the government. I, I pray not. Um, but it's a time where he's coming under scrutiny for all of the decisions that he's made and the ways that he's interacted with humanity. Did he do enough in this person's life? Did he come at the most opportune time? Uh, 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 you know, Did he display himself in the most favorable of manners? Did he give people every opportunity that they could to choose him? Or did he manipulate the situation? Did he skew it so that somebody would become an inevitable loser in this situation? Did he, by his negligence and by his mishandling of the work entrusted to him, fail? Was he cooking the books? You know, like we get to come under this auditing of God. And the fact that he's humble enough to say, I want you to know everything because I need you to trust me. But even before we get to that point where we get to fully unpack everything, there's still the question of what do you do with the unknown? How do we react in the face of mystery? Do we believe the best about God? Or do we default to disparaging beliefs? And we're going to hit this on next week's podcast, so you cannot miss this. The conversation is so good. Matthew Cortman does such a, a great job really, really hammering this out. So like, this is in no way a substitute for next week's lesson. But like, I just want you to, to, to chew on that for a moment. Because I think about my own personal relationships. I know where my mind can go. If somebody doesn't answer their phone. Oh. They must be ignoring me. Oh, I wonder what I did to them. Oh, I wonder why they have such an attitude right now. Right? Like, I don't automatically, and maybe I should. This is, this is a reflection of me, not a reflection of anybody else. Like, I have got to check where I allow my mind to go in the presence of mystery. Do I begin to think the worst about that person? They said something that seemed a little off to me, but it's kind of outside of their character. But I'm like, you know, why didn't they respond to my text? Or why did they say it like that? Or, oh, so-and-so made this comment about me. Like, that's odd. 
I can immediately go to the negative and assume the worst, or I can give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that there's going to be so many situations in our relationship with God that we're going to come to places where we don't have all the answers and we don't know why he did X, Y, and Z. And there is that moment, that space. Why didn't he answer my call? Why didn't he answer my prayers? Why isn't he speaking to me right now? Why did he allow this to happen? That we're trying to answer those questions of who is he? And in Revelation, you know, in chapter 8, it says that before Jesus returns, that there is silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. And that silence in heaven, I think, is going to be like that sealing moment where there's going to be a divide between, a very clear divide between the faith, those who have faith and those who do not, right? Because what do we do when we don't hear from God? I think that's the ultimate test of character. That's the ultimate test that we know God. That's the ultimate test that we are in relationship with him and we trust him. Because even when we don't hear him, we still believe that he's doing something good on our behalf, that he hasn't actually forsaken us, that he isn't acting out of bad character. And I think that that's like, that's a powerful moment to come in your relationship where you trust somebody so much that even when you don't hear from them, you don't impute ill motive to them or impotence to them or negligence to them. And so we are on a lifelong journey of practicing that very practice. What do we do with silence? What do we do with the I don't knows? There's a theological issue that you run into. You're studying this out in the Bible and the answer is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this right now. Do we default to the side of like, let's just believe God is very angry? Or do we default to the side of like, I want to believe that he's gracious. I want to believe that there's love somewhere in here that maybe I'm not seeing. And I think that's just such a important quality of trust. So I'm excited about next week to check out this podcast. And this week is just, what are we doing in those silent moments with God? You know, and also to exercise that space of being able to stand, to stand as your own person before him with your own mind, with, the, with, the, with your own moral faculties well-developed, that you can talk to him as a friend and not be afraid to trust him, to, say, to be willing to reason with him. Because I, I think God is wanting to have a bride and you can't wife a subordinate, <laughs> you know? Like, we even see that in our culture, like, you shouldn't date your boss, right? Like, that's just bad practice. But to enter into this equality relationship is a completely different thing. And there has to be respect. There has to be deferring. There has to be a lot of communication. And I just want to challenge you guys. um, Because I know right now, like, church is not popping, right? Like, nobody's going to church. Uh, maybe some people are, right? I can't speak for everybody. They're like, church is not an occasion that's really happening. It's still at a Zoom church. And 
some of our, you know, faith and our theology has been challenged uh, by various social issues that have arisen in our culture, various things that have happened, maybe our own lives. Uh, We just have kind of maybe gone a little bit dormant in our faith. And I think a part of it is people are, I in particular, um, I feel very averse to a relationship in which I feel fear. If I'm feeling fear in my relationship for the majority of it, it's not a relationship that I'm going to want to be in. I'm going to want to run from the scriptures rather than run to it. I'm going to rather run from that encounter rather than run to it. And for me, it's important to get to this place of removing some of these barriers of fear and say, I believe that God is loving, that he is gracious, that there's room for me, that he's not a perfectionist because Jesus is already my perfection. And I cannot improve upon that gift one iota. And I want to stand here with my friend and talk to him and ask him to help me make sense of this. And for me, in my life, he does. And I love that. And I'm glad that we get to have the friendship that we have. And so just a challenge uh, this week in preparation for next week. You do not want to miss it. It is full of amazing, heady intellectual, but also very practical stuff. You're going to learn something new. You're going to have fun. You're going to have aha moments because I did. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. So this is just priming the pump, getting you to think about some things, getting you like ready to like uh, get you sink your teeth into something really juicy. Um, and yeah, you know, when you hit mystery, when you meet the unknown, what are you going to do? And who are you going to be? And how are you going to believe differently about God.